Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. We've been in a larger series, I'd almost call it a season at this point, called The Showdown. I think we're on Sermon 23, 25, I don't know. But uh, specifically, we've been in a uh, a series within a series, a wheel within a wheel, uh, kind of talking about like watching what you hear, talking a little bit about discernment, a little bit about decision making, a little bit about hearing from God and hearing God's word, hearing the truth that comes from God's word. And I want to take it another step today and title this sermon, Watch What You See. And we're going to kind of finish up this story of Jehoshaphat and Ahab and the prophet Micaiah. We're going to go through 1 Kings chapter 22. We're going today through verses 19 through 40. Take a long time to read all of them, so I'm going to tell you the story. And if you want, you can follow along with me in your Bible. I'd encourage you to read it uh, on your own as well. There's so much here in this story and in this time that I believe is repeating itself. History repeats itself. And as history repeats itself, so there are spiritual rhythms, spiritual scenes that repeat themselves as well. And I believe we are in a spiritual time that's really, I think, um, found in the spirit and the reaction to the spirit of Ahab's life. And right now I believe God's spirit is coming against the Ahab's and the false gods in this nation that are trying to claim victory, trying to claim credit, trying to claim power over the church and over God's people, and over God's word. But I believe that God still has a part to play. God's still going to lead us. God still has victory for his people and for his church, for his prophets. Can you say amen? And so I want to read one verse to you. This is a portion of the prayer of Jehoshaphat. He's the second king that's involved in this story. This is a prayer he prays later on, and we're going to expand it more throughout the story. But this is a portion of the prayer that he prays. He says, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. If you don't know what to pray and you don't know what to do, this prayer is for you. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Today, I want to encourage you to watch what you see. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come right now. Speak to us. Speak to your people. Speak to your church. We want to hear from you in the midst of all the noise and all, all, all the opinions, all the information and all the narratives. God, we want to hear your story and your words. God, we want to hear your challenge, encouragement, and conviction to us. So God, don't give up on us. Speak to us. Help us. Love us. Forgive us. And come to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Today I want to talk to you about God's judgment. Now that's not a a subject that is discussed all that much. Uh, Even less so, it's not a subject that we would necessarily get excited about. But you got to understand that God is a judge. It's an office that he fulfills. And from beginning to end in the Bible, God shows himself as a judge, makes pronouncements, makes decisions, follows the law, and God has a judgment. And it seems that we as Christians, we get scared about that concept. We get nervous, especially preachers don't want to talk about the judgment of God, because if I talk about the judgment of God, certainly I can't talk about the grace of God, right? Not understanding that the grace follows the judgment. Without the judgment, then grace has no reason to exist. It's the judgment that sets up the mercy. 
And, and so I, I, I hope you understand that's it's part of the whole rescue process of God. And, and maybe, maybe we need to talk a little bit more about the active hand of God on earth all throughout history, moving kings and queens and nations and people. He is a God that judges. One verse we've been using, many churches have been using throughout this season is anything that can be shaken will be shaken. Well, that verse in Hebrews is in the context of God being the judge. The Bible says that he judges the, the land and the sea and he judges even nations. God is in charge. And this isn't something that we should be afraid about, nervous about. This isn't something that we should avoid. Seems that the only people that avoid, uh, that, that don't avoid the judgment of God are those guys that have the tattoos, only God can judge me, you know? And it's like, oh, he will, you know? The judgment of man's actually no big deal. It's the judgment of God that you have to worry about. But we as Christians, when we come under Jesus Christ, we don't come into a place of fear of judgment day. We desire it. We look forward to it. We ask for it. We, we approach judgment day, and the Bible says it's appointed to every person a, a day to die and be judged. We're all going to enter into our own judgment day. But we don't, we don't avoid it. We desire it. We look forward to it. And, and I would encourage you as we head towards that day, that all mankind, that every person is going to face, I would encourage you to be watchful on what you hear, on what you see, and what you agree with. Because what you hear, what you see, and what you agree with necessitates um, what you are going to share judgment with. What you hear, what you see, and what you agree with sets the direction, sets the connection, sets the proximity, sets the surrounding. That, that, that is the atmosphere. It is the power. It is the belief system that you're going to be judged by. What you hear, what you see, and what you come in alignment with, that's what gets judged. So we are going to, as Christians, hear the right thing, see the right thing, look for the right thing, and agree with the right thing and then allow God to judge that. We find Ahab and Jehoshaphat are now entering into a moment of judgment from God. Ahab, the wicked king of Israel. Jehoshaphat, the, the prophetic king of Judah. The, 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 the king who God loved over Judah. They had made an alliance. And it was an alliance that was ungodly because their allegiance, allegiances were different. Ahab's allegiance was to Baal. Uh, Jehoshaphat's allegiance, his alignment, was with God the Father. So, so again, what, what they, were, they, they weren't in agreement. They, they didn't see things the same way. They didn't, they didn't speak the same way. They didn't pray the same way. They didn't agree the same way. Therefore, when God's judgment is going to fall, it's going to fall differently on each of them. And judgment is on its way. Because Ahab says it's time for war. And it wasn't time for war. He began to work outside of the will of God. He wanted his own way. He wanted his own thing. He wanted to increase his power and his influence. He wanted to increase his riches. And he said, I'm going to do that by going against my fellow man. And he dragged Jehoshaphat into the whole process with him. And Jehoshaphat says, well, surely if we're going to go to war, we've got to hear from God. And Ahab says, no problem. He gathers 400 yes men. They all prophesy what Ahab wants to hear. And he says, see, that's the word of the Lord. Jehoshaphat says, no, I know what God sounds like. And that ain't it. So they got another man named Micaiah. He was a truth teller. He was a prophet 
of Jehovah. And when Micaiah came, he did not agree with the words that the 400 other prophets had spoken, even though there was peer pressure, even though there was influence, even though there was the whole setup for him to just come into alignment and agree with what everyone else is seeing and what everyone else is saying, he chose to stand out and speak the truth despite cost or consequence. Well, of course, Ahab, he was frustrated by this and he became dismissive to the word of God. He wouldn't agree with that word. He wouldn't see it that way. He, he backs away from it. He's saying, you know what? This guy, he only wants bad for me. He's always negative. He's always got a bad thing to say. He's never positive. And it's amazing how many times if you're not careful, people will even frame God that way to you. God's trying to hold me down. He's never done something good for me. And if you're not careful, you might come into agreement with a word that's not of faith, with an antichrist word that's not of God, that doesn't call down blessings. And in that frame, when Micaiah is being dismissed by Ahab the king, Micaiah had a choice. Is he going to back down? Is he going to be quiet? Is he going to self-censor? Is he going to be nervous? Is he just going to take the easy path and say, you know what, I hear you, no big deal. I'll just agree with the masses, what it, with what everyone else is saying. Or is he going to stay true to what he felt God spoke to him and what he saw? And here he makes the choice to open his mouth and say what he sees. Micaiah had a vision. That's how God spoke to him. And Micaiah begins to expound on this vision. He said, I saw heaven open. That's a good way to start a prophecy. He said, you know what? I didn't just hear this from God. I saw God speak it. I saw heaven open. And the king of kings was on his throne. Now what's interesting, notice the context, is he's speaking to two kings, and they're arrayed on their thrones, and they have all their war council around them, and all their yes men around them, and Micaiah doesn't back down from this spectacle. He says, this is nothing compared to what I see. I see the real king, and he's on his, his throne, and he has all of his counselors around him, and he has made a judgment. He has made a decision. And the king's decision is on this day, Ahab is going to fall. See, what you have to understand is that God is a ruler. He is both king and he is a judge. God is a judge. He takes the office of a judge. In Genesis 3, we're introduced to God first as creator, preceding creation, all of creation preceded, uh, came from him. God is the creator. In the beginning, God created. We see him as a creator. Then we see God as the friend. The Bible says that God and Adam walked together in the garden of the cool of the day. So we see him in the office of creator, the office of friend. But then God steps into a third office. When Adam and Eve sinned, and they were blaming each other and blaming the snake, accusing each other, God began to step into the office as judge. He was getting all their stories, getting all their sides, and he had to make a decision about the dispute on who sinned, who missed the mark, who went the wrong way, who bought into the lie. And he makes a decision on the snake, on the man, and on the woman. I just want you to understand this is a mirror of how we got kicked out of paradise is also how we're going to get back into paradise. God stands as judge between Adam and Eve, humanity, and the snake that is accusing them. And the Bible says that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. The spirit does not accuse. 
It convicts, but it doesn't accuse. The snake accuses. God is the judge. And it was out of that accusation that we were kicked out of paradise, but God is going to judge again. And the accuser's words will be stopped by the mighty hand of God. Paradise will be opened up again by the decision of God. And as we were kicked out from paradise, so we'll be able to enter into paradise because of the work of of the cross. I'm getting ahead of myself, but I just need for you to know Genesis to Revelation, it was all written by one hand, it was all planned by one God, and Jesus is our divine redemption. It's incredible when you see the Bible from this lens. God, his third office is a judge. Right away, Genesis 3, he says, I am a judge. I make the decision. And what was the issue between Adam and Eve and the snake? The core issue was what do we believe about the word of God? Remember, God said, do not even touch that apple, that that fruit. Don't, Don't even go near it. Don't eat of it. Don't touch it. And then what did the snake say? Did God really say? So what was the dispute? The dispute was on the text. The dispute was on God's policy. The dispute was on the word of God. This is what God said. And the snake begins to twist it, question it. And he begins to say, but did God really say? And when God, as a judge, Asked Adam what happened, God reminded him, saying, did I not command you? This is the dispute. Did God really say? And God says, did I not command you? See, what we discover from this proceeding is that not only is God a judge, that God's word is his law. His word is his law. And it is the basis for all of his judgments. The Bible says in Isaiah, for the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, and the Lord is our king, and he will save us. So you have to understand his judgeship precedes salvation. His judgeship is the, it is the authority from which he can now save his people. God sends his son as a savior Not to get rid of his word, but to fulfill his word. And through the fulfillment of his word, give mercy and grace for where we fall short. What I love about this concept is we see it show up later on in one of my favorite stories. In the book of Acts 17, we find the apostle Paul travels to Athens, that incredible city, the birthplace of democracy. And he goes up to a hill called Mars Hill, It was actually called the Areopagus. And this place was an ancient court. They track it back all the way into the mythic times, the beginning times of Athens. All of the great orators of Athens talked. Aristotle spoke about the Areopagus, this incredible place of court, which actually is one of the, um, the models for our court system today. And it was done out in the open. And everyone could see how the court was to proceed. And And what's amazing about this moment is Paul chooses to bring the revelation of Jesus to the people of Athens through the concept of of Jesus being the judge. He finds a stone that that, uh, God that they were worshiping and they didn't quite know what God it was, but they didn't want to let any gods, they they wanted to make sure they didn't miss any gods and therefore be cursed. So they just set up an altar to an unknown God. And Paul says, I can use that. He comes up to them. And he begins to speak about the unknown God, a God you worship, but you don't even know him. You don't know his attributes. You don't know what he's like. 
You don't know what his, 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 uh, his rulings are. You don't know his laws or his word. You don't know the person you claim to worship. So they bring him up to the, the, the court, the Areopagus, Mars Hill. And what does he do? But he shows Jesus as judge. He goes to the beginning. Go to the book of Acts, Acts 17, read this. He goes to the beginning and he retells the story of creation. He says God was a creator. And then he says, and, and we are his children. He quotes their own poets to them. We are his children. We are his offspring. And that we were his friends. And then what does he do? He shows God as judge. And he says, and now he sent his son as judge. And he finishes this incredible sermon with a call to repent. It's really amazing that when Paul is going to minister, preach, he shows God as a judge. And he allows God to be judged. Therefore, if you accept him, you might, not, uh, you might not have to be judged by him into death. But his judgment for you can be life, can be mercy, can be grace. He, he echoes this sermon in Romans when, when he says this, For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. And it is written, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. And every tongue will acknowledge God. So then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. He is judge. We will be judged. We will give an account for every thought, every intention, every action, every motive. Therefore, we need someone to defend us. We need grace and mercy to set us free. We need God to intervene. Otherwise, we will lose this case. And thank God that though the law is the standard, the cross is his mercy, and he takes the cross, the gift of the cross, the sacrifice of the cross, and he gifts it to us. So even if we are judged sinful, we become righteous because of the blood of Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. It's the gospel that Peter preached, the gospel that Paul preached. It is the gospel that saves mankind. We see God deciding between Ahab, Deciding between Jehoshaphat as the judge. Jehoshaphat's name means God is the judge. And God is about to personify, manifest this in his life before his very eyes. And God's judgment on Ahab is now death. God says Ahab will fall. Why? Because he had become an enemy of God. He had set himself against God. He had shaken his fist at God. And after repeated rejections of God, over and over, finally God says, now I will reject you. For God holds in his hands the power of life and death. And to reject God is to reject life. To reject God is to reject life. To receive God is to receive life. Jesus says, I am the way, I'm the truth. I'm life. And so God sets his hand against Ahab. He gave him so many chances. He gave him so many different prophets. But now is the moment where God is going to draw a line. And one thing you have to understand about God is God will draw a line. We have to make sure we don't understand God as just a fluffy figure in the sky that's just kindness and nothing else. God is ruler and king. And God draws lines, says this far, no further. Anything outside of this is sin. Anything outside of this is unrighteousness. God 
God draws very definitive lines. And, and God's line with Ahab was, I think, very interesting. His line with Ahab wasn't Jezebel, wasn't the rejection of him. God sent fire from heaven down on Ahab and Ahab still walked away from him. And God still said, it's okay, I'll give you another chance on top of that. In fact, there was a time when Ahab received a negative word, repented, and God said, even because you repented just a little bit, I'll relent. I mean, God was gracious over and over and over. But do you know where God drew a line? When Ahab began to entice Jehoshaphat away from God, when Ahab began to corrupt now not just his own nation, Israel, but another nation, God says, I'm drawing a line. Because you have enticed people away from me, and now are trying to entice even another nation. My people, Judah, was a tribe of Israel. Now you're trying to corrupt another nation, another leader. God says, I'm keeping them distinct. These are my people. See, God draws the line between the world and the church. He draws a line between light and darkness. He draws a line, and he says, no longer am I going to allow this mixture this assimilation. No longer am I going to allow my kingdom to look like man's kingdom. I am going to draw a line. And I believe right now, the shaking that we're feeling, the instability that we're feeling, what we're seeing in the church, I believe is God drawing a very definitive line. What is faith and what is not? What is grace and what is not? What is righteous and what is not? What is kingdom and what is not? God is drawing definitive lines. No longer can we just be accepted by everyone. No longer can we be applauded by the world, loved by all mankind. No, no matter what you do in today's day and age, it's going to be controversial. No matter what you do, you're going to have to choose a side. And it seems that the sides are widening. But I believe God is saying, I am going to draw a line because you are Judah. You are the tribe that I've set apart. You are my people that I have blessed, and I will not allow you to be corrupted by an evil king in a wicked kingdom in a way that leads to famine and pestilence and death, a way that leads away from me. God is drawing a line between these two nations so that he can use one of them to glorify himself. And you know what I, I just find interesting, and I'm going to move on, but I just, I find it so interesting is, is God determined to cut the connection right here before it caused an infection. He cuts the connection before there's an infection in the tribe of Judah. And I believe God will even do that in your life. Some relationships he won't allow. Some jobs he will not allow you to get. Some attitudes that he will not allow. Some patterns, habits, decisions, lifestyle choices God will not allow because though it doesn't seem that bad now, it can cause an, effect, an infection in your heart and your soul and your thinking that will lead to death later on. This alliance didn't seem that bad. Jehoshaphat was a man of God, but he knew that if they get together and if Jehoshaphat begins to get the spirit of Ahab on him, it's going to pull him away from the author of life. So God said, I will take Ahab's life in order to give life to Jehoshaphat. So he says, God says to the council around him, all those in heaven around his thrones, this is what Micaiah is seeing in his vision, God says, who will entice, who will entice Ahab to go up to Ramoth Gilead and go to his death there? Who, who, who will 
Who will bring him that direction? Who will entice him? And, and see, what God is doing is he's setting a trap for Ahab, a trap of enticement, a trap of his own desires. See, the reality is, more than even God pushing him in direction, he's allowing him to go the direction he already wants to go. He says, he says who, will, who will entice him to go in the direction that his passions are already leading? He's, he's initiating a process of destruction by allowing an ungodly man's passions to be fulfilled. James exposes it like this. James says, but each person is tempted. Here's the process. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when fully grown, brings forth death. It starts with enticement for your own desires. But it ends if unchecked, if unrepented. If God doesn't bring you off this path, it always ends in death. What God is saying is, I've had enough of Ahab. Now I'm going to let his temptations come to fruition. I'm going to let his desires be played out. Go ahead, do now what you want to do. Go where you want to go. Here's what I'm saying. Sometimes hell is getting what you desire most. Sometimes hell can be living in the reality that you always dreamed of. The truth is, if you're not careful, blessings can become a curse. In fact, sometimes the greatest tragedies are brought upon by unrestricted prosperity. It's the fall of Rome. It's what we're maybe even seeing in our nation right now. Incredible that the enemy will even use the blessings and prosperity of God to introduce a curse if you're not careful. I've seen it all the time in church. I've seen it at the altar, praying with someone time and time again for something, only to see the very thing they prayed for, fasted for, hoped for, when they get it, lead them away from the God that they were praying to, fasting to. It's amazing to see something that it's not bad. It's not necessarily wrong. But if it comes into the place of God, it's always going to lead you astray. I, like Ahab's desire for influence and leadership and expansion is not necessarily wrong. But if it takes a place of God, it's going to lead him into a place of war, which always leads to death. It leads him into a curse. If he wanted influence, if he wanted a large kingdom, all he had to do was come under God's judgment and live righteously. Come into repentance and live righteously. But instead he said, I'm going to do it on my own. And it's amazing to me how many times I've even seen, I've seen Christians Pray and push and desire for things that in the end begin to pull them away from God. Things that, that even God would want to give them. I've, I've seen so many people want to get married so bad. Marriage is good. It's a positive thing. God gave it in the garden. They say, I want to be married so bad. They're praying. They're pushing. But because they want it so bad, that desire it leads to temptation. They marry the wrong person. There's nothing wrong with marriage, but you've got to do it in accordance with God. 
Did God show you this person? Did you hear God's word for this person? Is there confirmation for this person? The marriage is a good thing, but with the wrong person, it can be hell. Three years later, they come back and say, you will not believe. I will believe because the right thing at the wrong time can lead to destruction. I've seen it happen with promotions. People begging God for this job, saying this is all I'm going to do if I get this job. and I'm going I'm to help people and I'm going to serve. And there's nothing wrong with the job, nothing wrong with the promotion. But if it's not God's job for you, his promotion and his time, that good thing that you follow can end up leading to a very painful life. I've seen good jobs that people prayed for and hoped for. When they get it, that promotion moves them away from the things of God. I've even seen it happen with children. Amazing. I mean, no one would disagree that children are a blessing of God. But I've seen God give children to people that if they do not lead themselves and their children, the child takes the place of God. And in the end, like, I can't connect and we're not, we're not coming to church that much because this kid's been soccer and we're doing this and like, we finally got him on a good schedule and we're finally working. Our, and, we get, and it's like, hey, hey, hold on. That thing that you fasted and you prayed and you hoped for, do not let that now move you away from the God that you were praying to. Don't let the blessing become a curse. God had to reprove Ahab. He had to remove Ahab. Because Ahab no longer was following him. In fact, now he was leading others in the path of his destruction. But here's the thing. God still, still, even though all this was going on in heaven, God still, through his grace, provided a way of escape. He sends his prophet Micaiah and says, tell him exactly what happened up here. Give him the vision. Open up heaven for this guy. Because God's so good that even on the path to destruction, he'll keep giving you an off-ramp. He'll keep giving you opportunities. He'll keep, he'll keep bringing conversations. I mean, God's in the middle of judging this man's life. And still, he says, but you know what? I'm still going to give him a way of escape. Remember when God said to Cain, hey, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? The, the opportunity of life and death is before you. Do what is right, and I will always accept you. In this moment, Ahab could have said, you know what? Hold on. Hold on. If God's going to judge me and bring me to death, I'm going to change right now. And his whole leadership could have turned around in that moment. I say that to say, you are not too far gone. You have not walked a path that you can't turn around from. Repentance can happen in a moment. God can begin to restore you. Things can change. And God's judgment upon your life does not have to lead towards death. It can lead to life. God's grace will always provide a way of escape. Remember the Lord's Prayer? Jesus says, lead me not into temptation. Deliver me from evil. God says, pray every single day. Lord, don't lead me. Don't let me walk that path of destruction. Bring me into a place of deliverance. I'm telling you, that's a key to walking the path that God has for you. So a spirit says, speaks up. Spirit in the counsel of the king. Before God says, I'll entice Ahab. I've got an idea. God says, what is it? The Spirit says, I will entice him by going out and I will put a lying spirit in the mouth of all of his prophets. God says, that sounds good. That's going to work. And that, that, that's going to bring about destruction of his house. So this lying spirit goes out, comes into the mouth of 400 prophets, and when they prophesy, they're not speaking with the Holy Spirit. 
They're speaking with a lying spirit. Now this story makes sense. It didn't make sense until we finally saw the supernatural. Because how could 400 people all be prophesying in agreement, but all be prophesying the wrong thing? It doesn't make sense in the natural. I can't figure it out. There's no math equation for this. I, I, can't, I can't understand. But come on, there's so many of them. What, did they make a plan? Was there a conspiracy on the side? What, did they get an email chain going? How do they all say the same thing the same way at the same time? It doesn't make sense until God pulls the veil back and says, let me show you what happened in the supernatural. Right now, what is happening on the earth does not make sense unless you're to understand what's happening in the supernatural. What's happening now is so illogical. It's so unnatural. There does seem to be a unity right now in deceit. There is agreement towards mistruth. And yet, it makes sense if you understand that there are spirits. They are living. They are acting. They are moving. They oppress people. They move people, especially people that are not under the Spirit of God. There are spirits that can move and use people that are not from God. That's how it makes sense. No wonder they're all agreeing. No wonder they're all saying the same thing. Because they have the same spirit. Even though they have different voices. Same spirit, different voices. Same spirit, saying things slightly different, but they're all agreeing on that same track. So there they all are, 400 of them, all in agreement, all deceived, all being used by God to pull the wool over Ahab's eyes. I want you to hear me. In life and in times like these, you have to beware of lying spirits. The lying spirit always speaks favorable words that, if followed, will lead to destruction. Favorable words that, if followed, will lead to destruction. Just because it sounds good doesn't mean it's of God. Just because many people say it and there's unity does not make it righteous. I could give you about 500 examples but I'm going to leave this open because I want the Holy Spirit to speak to you. And I want you to take your mind and begin to apply it to what you're hearing and what you're seeing right now in society. There are many things that sound good, maybe even kind, maybe even nice, that in the end are twisted, poisoned, because they're coming from, a lip, from lips that have a lying spirit behind them. Many times you don't even know it until it's too late. But if you have the Holy Spirit on you, you have the Spirit of truth on you. You might be only one speaking amongst 400. You might not be accepted by society. You might not speak in agreement with society. You might not be accepted um, by those around you in family or work. You might stand out. But hear me, if you have the Holy Spirit, speak in alignment with the Holy Spirit. Do not be peer pressured. Do not be moved to speak in agreement with people that are going to be judged. So how do you do that? How do you do that? It's very practical. I'm going to give it to you right now. You use your discernment. You use your spiritual gift of discernment. And discernment is this. 
It's joining your judgment to God's, even when you don't understand what's going on in the natural. Getting God's mind about something, God's word about something, hearing God speak on something. Discernment is joining your judgment to God's mind. John lays it out in 1 John for us. He says this. This is so good. This is like, this is the part of the sermon that you're going to be able to put into practice tomorrow. This is what he says. Beloved, that's you. Do not believe every spirit. Don't believe everything you hear, everything you read, or everything you even see with your natural eyes. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Some of them are in the church. Some of them are in industry. Some of them are in government. Some of them are in the sciences. But there are many false prophets throughout the world. By this, you know the Spirit of God. Here's the test. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Is Jesus their Lord? Is their life aligned with the word of God? When they stand in judgment, do they stand under the cross or do they stand under sin? Every spirit that confesses Jesus is Lord. Here's why. A demon spirit cannot confess that Jesus is Lord. It cannot come into alignment with that. It cannot agree with that. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus is Lord has come in the flesh, has come in the flesh, is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. It might be good, but it's not God. Model your life. Surround your life. Align your life with people that speak in the Spirit of God. Amen? Does that help you? I could end right there, but I got one more, one more aspect to go. I would propose to you right now that a lying tongue has come on many people in the world, many different areas of the world, influential messengers throughout society, and their allegiance is to a false god and a lesser king. So I would challenge you, church. Watch what you hear. Watch what you see. Watch what you agree with. Because that's, that's by which you're going to be judged. Therefore, look for God. Agree with God. Speak the word of God. Come in alignment with God that you might be judged through the cross of Jesus Christ. Ahab, his reaction was, I'm sure you could guess it, not positive towards uh, everything that Micaiah had to say. Actually, before Ahab reacted, Zedekiah, the other prophet, come up, slaps him across the face, starts insulting him. And, uh, and I, I like it. Micaiah doesn't even, he throws it right back at him. He says, you know what? Look, this prophecy is true. And your prophecy's not. And when you see it, you're going to go hide in the basement, right? That's how much you're going to be exposed. Go read it. It's amazing. And then the king, he, he, he rebukes Micaiah and imprisons him and tortures him. He says, don't even give him that much food. Don't, don't give him that much water. Listen, there's always a cost for truth. There's always a reaction from those that hate truth. And I wonder if we're willing to speak truth even if no one else does. Agree with truth even if it falls out of fashion with society. If we're able and willing to pay the price to stand for truth. 
Despite what the prophets do, whatever the reactions are. Despite whatever you have to pay the price, even in your body, church. Micaiah says one last time, this word will be true. Please hear. Ahab chooses not to. He goes and goes off to war with Jehoshaphat. and He thinks he's going to skirt around God's word. And so he says, I'm not even going to dress as the king. Because if I was the king, they'd know to shoot for me. I'm just going to dress as a normal person. It's interesting. He concealed himself with his clothes. He hid himself. Isn't that exactly what they did in Genesis? After they sinned, they, they clothed themselves and they hid from the voice of God. This is what he's doing again. He, he knows he stands in judgment. He knows he's unrighteous. And now his actions are exposing that. He said, I'm going to conceal myself. They're not even going to know I'm king. But in the midst of the war, a random soldier drew and fired a random arrow. And it struck Ahab in the heart. He was pierced by the truth that he tried to ignore. And as he bled out, he saw the prophecy come true before his eyes. His people were scattered and at the end, they lost the battle and a voice went up and said, every man to his home, every person back to his country. And on that day, Ahab died. But Jehoshaphat survived because in God's judgment of Ahab, he redeemed Jehoshaphat. In God's judgment of ending Ahab's life, he brought life to Jehoshaphat. He pulled him out of that situation. Listen, I want you to know, God saved your life for a reason. Maybe you're hanging out with those people and you look at them and you look at their life now and you say, oh my goodness, God redeemed me from that place. God redeemed me from that car accident. God redeemed me from that dorm room. God redeemed me from that place. Hear me. And even more than that, God became flesh, Jesus. He took our death and through his blood, he redeemed us as his son. Jehoshaphat got to receive the redemption that Ahab denied. And, and many years later, he was, he was leading Jerusalem in war, came to Jerusalem. War. Here he is in the same place he was before, but now he knows what to do. He learned from that last time. He says, gather the people, begin to pray, and begin to fast. All the things opposite Ahab did. Pray, fast, and he gathers them before the house of the Lord. And he leads the people in hearing the voice of the Lord. And he calls out in prayer. Interesting. He's in the court of the temple of Jerusalem. It's almost as if he remembers what Micaiah saw, the vision of the king's court. And he gathers all the people back into the court of his house. And he prays this prayer. And I believe this prayer is relevant for us here and now. When you speak, speak like this. When you pray, this week, pray like this. Come into agreement with words like this. Jehoshaphat says, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over the kingdoms of the nation. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people of Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend. And you have lived in it, in this house, and have been built for you. It's a sanctuary for your name. And when they built it, they said this, if disaster comes upon us, this is the key part of the prayer. If disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, 
or pestilence or famine, we will stand before this house and before you. For your name is in this house. And we will cry out to you in our affliction and you will hear and you will save. Oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them, our enemies? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We have a choice. All are going to be judged, but will we be like Ahab or Jehoshaphat? Our differentiation is the prayers that we pray. The alignment, the agreement of our hearts and our mind. I believe that God wants to redeem you, our cities, our nation, even this world right now. And I know that times seem very dire. It seems as if disaster has come upon us. The sword, judgment, pestilence, famine. But we are going to stand in the house of God. We're going to stand in the presence of God. We're going to admit that we do not know what to do, but we turn our eyes on Jesus. We're not going to look at ourselves or our sin or our shame. We're not looking to government to solve this. We're not looking to the economy to save us. We're looking to Jesus right now. He is our judge, our king, our ruler. We're setting our senses on salvation. So I'm going to ask you to pray with me. And this week, I'm going to ask you to pray with me. Pray for this nation. You're a Jehoshaphat. Pray for this nation. Pray for your children. Pray for God's people. Commit to speak truth. I don't care if they ban you, censor you, unfriend you. Commit to speak truth. Commit to come into alignment with the word of God and then set your eyes on redemption. Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. If you want to learn more about our church, visit us online at awakening.global. We'll see you soon.